guys. Welcome back to My Steps of Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today's another fantastic day for an interview because I've got David Hollenbach with me. David is the author of Fireproof. And David is a man who has got a secret superpower. His secret superpower is that he changed his own core belief of failure, of of just, you know, this, this kind of word that immediately brings up shame and guilt and all those negative emotions. He changed that into a true driving force to turn your future into the bright, beautiful thing that it should be. And that's an amazing and amazing attitude. And I want to know where was this transformation coming from? So, David, you're a great man. Welcome to my show. Thank you for having me, Stefan. I am um, Stefan, right? That is correct. All right, cool. Um, yeah, this uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, and like you alluded to, failure is the the source of shame and uh that negative self-talk the the horrible things that we tell ourselves oh, yeah. when when we do something stupid when we act human you know um i uh i had it was actually my fiance it was when we first started dating and you know, there's those early struggles with a young relationship, but I was still on this journey of healing from PTSD, from uh, healing from some really poor decisions on my part, uh, decisions that led me down this road of self-destruction. I mean, I don't I almost ended everything because that's how miserable I was. I didn't see a way that I could overcome the pain that I was feeling and, and the shame that I was feeling. And just, I never thought that anybody could look at me in a positive light. And, you know, I have a 15 year old daughter that is the most important human being in my life. And it was, her picture on the visor of my truck. Uh, I had aimed my truck at a brick wall doing about 90 miles an hour. And uh, I had rolled the windows down, unbuckled my seatbelt and let go of the steering wheel and um, looked up to ask for forgiveness. And I, I think that's really what was going through my mind. Uh, because I, I look up and there on my visor is a picture of me holding my daughter <clears throat> on uh, on the day that she was born. And it was in that instant that I, I slammed on the brakes and um, everything, everything went black. And clearly it wasn't just like I'm doing this at a sober moment in my life. I was tanked. Uh, I had been drinking all day. Um, I was just trying to numb everything. And, uh, and so, you know, I found myself in this, this really deep pit of like hopelessness. And, um, 
and I, you know, felt like all my friends were were done with me. Uh, my family had disowned me. This is all the stuff that I was telling myself, you know, and and so I was like, I was ready, and uh, and then that realization that I was not ready to do that to my daughter. Um, that's when I slammed on the brakes, everything went black. I really have no, no recollection of that moment until the next morning when I woke up in my bed, my truck was in my driveway, no recollection of how it got there. Uh, I mean, I, pretty sure I drove it there, but there's, there's no memory of that. And when I woke up, I, I broke emotionally. Um, I just, uh, man, you know, that those, that ugly crying, the sobbing and just that guttural, Oh yeah. Guttural pain. Like there's the, the shame that already existed. Now you're piling on the shame of look what I almost did. Um, embarrassment. And I, I, and I started on this path to just try and put the pieces back together. Uh, I started really digging deep, learning more about myself. I had lost my career. I had spent 23 years in the fire service and because of mistakes I made in my personal life, I, I lost everything. Um, and that was a career that I had built. I was, you know, to toot my own horn, I was really, really good at my job. I was very well respected. I had done a lot of really awesome things. And that was my identity. And now it wasn't. <laughs> so I, How does it come that that you open your mouth and my words come out of it? It's scary, <laughs> man. It's scary, brother. Um, Dave, let's go back a little bit. What made you so good in your job? Uh, the, the dedication, the just... I felt that I, I think that it was part like looking back now I feel that there was an addiction there I was addicted to that um that identity I was addicted to the recognition um you know I I loved how my I would overhear my daughter talking proudly about her daddy that was the chief of special operations you know it was like uh, pride but I got addicted to that and so it was constant training <laughs> on my on my days off I would take vacation so I could go to training and uh, you know jeez <laughs> You're the same like me. It's exactly the same. <laughs> Adrenaline junkie or recognition jumpy. Uh, yeah. Junkie, not jumpy. Uh, so it's basically, but the question is why? What happened in your childhood? 
I mean, for me, there was there was some trauma in my childhood, and there was some probably loneliness and probably lack of recognition, lack of approval, lack of something to hold on to, so that I was constantly searching. And then I, when I when I found it in in my work, uh, I I just loved it. So I think I became a workaholic before I became an alcoholic. So I think that is fair to say because I could lose myself in my work. Also, uh, my PTSD made me a very good doctor because I was hypervigilant. I was constantly, constantly on the go, and therefore you could. It's it's hard to catch me out. Um, so, therefore, you know, I'm hunting what is actually the root cause of you having chosen to be a firefighter and having chosen to go out there and live that life. They need certain men and certain women go down this route, but many of us are already broken before we start. Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Uh, it, luckily, I have done a lot of self-exploration and I have got some good answers for you. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, my... Okay, so I'm sure that you and your audience is familiar with the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And, you know, when you have a certain score, there are certain things that you could predict about a person's adulthood. Um, to just kind of brush over, my score is an eight. So I was. Uh, destined <laughs> yeah i was destined to like do a lot of bad stuff and uh, but the thing is is that i i found that well first off you feel like you're the only one and the reality is that there's so many people out there that have struggled with the same shit and feel like they're the only ones in the and it's that self-isolation that perpetuates this this sorrow, this like, ugh, I'm such a piece of shit and like overachieving to prove that you're not a piece of shit. And, and so mine goes back to, you know, it was pre, pre kindergarten. Um, my, my mom and dad got divorced when I was five years old. Prior to the divorce, they were separated. And my mom had some, she was struggling with some mental, uh, she had some psychological issues and, uh, and she was struggling. She ended up, um, attempting suicide she ended up going into a home but it, there was a period of time where i was being looked after by different individuals and at one point i was physically abused really really bad um like beaten like a dog uh i was sexually abused and these are family members and then to try and tell my, my mother 
and have her say, oh, that would never happen. They would never do that. And just dismiss this trauma and say that it never happened. Um, I That began this uh, lack of trust. I couldn't trust anybody. Um, and, you know, there was, there was a period of time where I had this toxic view towards women and I know it is directly related to my mother and to, uh, the woman that beat me like a dog. Um, and thankfully there has been a lot of amazing women in my life that have made it very clear that it's not every woman. As a matter of fact, it's just a small percentage of women that and men that are just horrible people. You can't paint everybody with the same brush. And um, and so there's some of like some some poor behavior on my part. You know, where it was very easy for me to move from relationship to relationship or have multiple relationships at one time and just <laughs> Dave, you're you're recounting my life. Okay. You are your words, it it actually gives me goosebumps. My parents divorced at four. Um, I she was a, a woman challenged by her demons. Everything you say could be me. And it's so scary. And that's that reflects here we are on different sides of the world for crying out loud. Um, we are sort of the same age group. Uh, yet you were at one stage in your life, you were convinced that that only ever happens to you. You're so no, no, it's all me. And I had the same. You when you said the sobbing, I I sat in my garage. Ah, oh, honestly, sweat, snot. And tears, everything coming out, uh, fueled by maybe a, a bottle or two of vodka. Um, man, this is here two men, completely unrelated, sharing exactly the same, the same key moments in their lives. Guys, you guys out there listening in, you are not alone. Yeah, two guys. We've just met, yet there are so many similarities. Can you imagine, guys, if you were to go out there and actually openly talk to to maybe a bunch of men or or women for that matter, um, who have who are coming together with the destiny to actually tell such stories? Could you imagine that maybe you will find similar aha moments like me right now, where you think, bloody hell, it's not just me. And I think that is one of the key messages already to take home from from your story and from my story. You guys out there, you are not alone. But maybe, maybe Dave and me just have been so lucky to have gone through so much shit, which forced us so far outside of our comfort zone, so that we're actually ready to take action. And then, yeah, we will come to that. But it's. Dave, you're an amazing man, and and I'm I'm I don't know if I should, I should say that I'm sorry to hear that you had to go through all that. I'm well, not. And, are and you that's sorry? Really, 
Well, that's the thing. There's there's all these things that have caused so much pain in our lives, but where I'm at right now in my life, I would not be here if not for all of that shit. <laughs> and, exactly. And so I, as much as I don't like having the nightmares, I don't like having the thoughts in my head that I, you know, the memories. As much as I don't like that, I feel that those experiences have prepared me even more for the life of service that I feel that I was designed for. Wow. It's beautiful because I feel exactly the same. And I mean, you have got so much trauma heaped into your early life. And then you basically grew up and you threw yourself into the rescuer role, into the knight in shining armor. And of course, that is a very intoxicating kind of thing. For me, it's the same as a doctor. Um, you're the hero and it's beautiful. And I loved it. One of your first sentences was that you actually identified yourself completely with that role. For me, for a time, when you asked me, who are you? I said, I'm Stefan Neff, I'm a pain physician. No, 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 I mean, who are you? No, no, I, I just told you, I'm a pain physician. I'm a doctor, I'm a pain physician. I could not answer that. I had lost myself completely. I could only identify with this rescuer role that I was playing and taking on with far too much of a vigor. Does that sound familiar with you? Yes, absolutely. 25 years, you were saying you were in the service? In uh, the 20, 23 years. 23 years. 23 uh, years. May I touch upon the harder question? I mean, where, which decisions led to your downfall, so to speak? Well, uh, and, and this is a... Uh, uh, I get into it in the last chapter of my book. So I'm, I'm going to give you guys an exclusive. <laughs> uh, so, and, and the book builds on this. I, I talk a, about a, quite a few of my failures and, and there's more that ties into this downfall. Um, I, I had spent 23 years in some really, really busy firehouses. Uh, that's where all the action was. That's where the fires were. That's where the, the trauma calls. Um, that is where I felt like I could do the most good, but I also saw the worst side of humanity. Um, the things that people can do to one another. Um, and, you know, see how horrifically a human body can break. Um, and, it, and it's just like, I, I got to a point where my, my personality was changing. Um, I knew that I needed to get help. 
but I was telling myself and telling the people around me that, you know, no, I'm, I'm tougher than that. Like this, I got it. <laughs> uh, and, and I was drinking more and more, um, wasn't sleeping. Cause when I went to sleep, I had horrific nightmares that sometimes resulted in me breaking stuff in my bedroom. And, um, it just, uh, I'm laughing because I nearly broke my toe once, um, because I tried to kick someone and without any, any response in my, in my dream. And I kicked stronger and, and the wall happened to be there. <laughs> Don't I know it? <laughs> my God, my God, man. So I, I had, uh, my marriage fell apart. Uh, there was there's some other things that happened that really led to this um, just I was married for for 13 years and when it ended, it, it was my wife that asked for the divorce and I I felt like it came out of the blue. The reality is, is that, it had been coming and I just hadn't been paying attention. And my, my moods were erratic and I just couldn't, I couldn't understand why she was doing this to me, you know? And, and then a series of relationships with women that I really should not have been with happened. And, uh, I ended up in a relationship with a woman that I thought I could trust. I had known her for a long time. And, uh, and so I have always been kind of like this. I, I want to be the guy that helps. I want to be the knight in shining armor. I'm going to come to your rescue. And this woman, she had a five-year-old son. Uh, she had a lot of medical bills, student loans, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't make a lot of money. So, uh, and she needed a place to stay. So I allowed her to move her, herself and her five-year-old son into my house. No rent. I paid for everything. I paid off her car. I paid off her student loans, paid off her medical bills. I gave her money for an attorney so that she could take her ex to court because he wasn't paying child support. Well, then I started like, going, well, if she doesn't have any money, how is it that she keeps on getting new stuff? And, and so here I am, I'm working more than I ever had, making more money than I had ever had and in more debt than I'd ever been in. So I asked her to show me her bank statements. And that is when I realized I had been taken. I had been, I had been conned. I'd been scammed. And I was just like, oh my God, you get out of my house, get out of my house. And she refused. So I, I had about five more months left five more months left on the lease. And I was like, okay, when my daughter is with me, so I have my daughter every other week, 
when my daughter's with me, I'll be present. The weeks that my daughter is with her mother, there's no reason for me to be here. And I told her that if she doesn't move out, I'm just going to, I'm going to wait until the lease is up and then I'm going to move somewhere else and she can do whatever she wants. But she couldn't afford the house. So uh, that's how things were going. Well, and, and so remember, I, I told you I, I'm struggling with PTSD. I'm chasing these, the, I'm chasing that dopamine fix. I am chasing that recognition. I want to feel good. I want people to tell me that they like me. And here I've got this woman that, you know, had been professing her love and, you know, and here she was lying all along and stealing from me, essentially. Um, and so I just really would have, I, I, I could have been taken advantage of again and again and again, really, the way that I, I was mentally. But I was mentoring several firefighters, several fire officers. And one of the firefighters that I was mentoring was a young female firefighter. Uh, very, very beautiful, like 20 years younger than me. And she expressed an attraction towards me, which blew my mind. Um, and I did not think about any repercussions about the optics of that or anything. And, uh, and so I began this relationship with this young firefighter and, um, and she, she fell in love and had written some letters and, you know, here I am not sleeping hardly at all. And I couldn't remember where those letters went. Uh, I had put them in a folder uh, and put it, put that folder in my backpack and my backpack was in my closet. Never, but I, I did not consider like that anybody would ever, quite frankly, I just didn't know where they were. Uh, and the ex that was still living in my house had decided that she was going to go through my stuff. I don't know what she was looking for. But she found those letters and confronted me. And I was like, well, are you kidding me? Like, you don't like it? Well, then get your stuff and get out. Here's just another reason for you to move out. Go. And she became very, uh, very verbal. She became physical. and. I have security cameras around my house and thankfully they were running um, because that is really what saved me from uh, being charged. I was arrested for domestic violence. She actually called 911 and uh, said that I had, this is, this is what <laughs> she said that I had headbutted her. Uh, when they asked, well, did he grab you? Did he hit you? Did he hit you with anything? Did he try and prevent you from leaving? And she was like, no, no, he didn't touch me. He just headbutted me. And on the video with them interviewing her, 
the cops were like, okay, they, he headbutted you. And, uh, and so they took her word and they arrested me and I, she put on a really good act. Uh, but when I provided the, the security camera footage to my attorney and they provided it to the state attorney, uh, everything went away. I was never charged with anything. It just was dissolved. But the day after my arrest, she went to my department and filed a complaint with the department. Mm. And there were things going on at the department that I had been vocal about. And it just seemed like I had lobbed them a softball and they were able to just crush it. And I was gone. Um, oh. And I, and I, I thought never in a million years would they get rid of me. I mean, I'm so valuable. Like, look at all the things I've done for this department. And, and it was, they did not give a shit. They were like, look how you made us look on the news. And we'll, we're going to sever ties. Bye-bye. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter that the woman that called 911 was lying her ass off. It didn't matter. Um, that was that. The, the when did policy, that happen? That was uh, 2019. Uh, the end of 2019. And... I actually signed my termination paperwork and just this is one of those things that like really sticks in your craw where uh, they actually this is the fourth largest metropolitan fire department in the state of Florida. And I was one of the higher ranking individuals and they had me meet two chief officers in the parking lot of a grocery store to sign my termination papers because they did not want me going because you know, I'm so crazy. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. But yeah, it was, it was just, it was insulting and it really, it, it just felt like this huge betrayal. Um, and I mean, I was, for much of my life, I was seething with anger and resentment. Were these emotions that are very familiar to you too? Oh, yeah. Did they come out to play at work? So was there other ammunition there for your for your department to actually get rid of you? Um, the... So... The other ammunition was this. I had been made aware of some inappropriate behavior toward women in the department. and this this happened long before any of my you know me understanding what was going on financially with the ex, I had discovered that there was some really bad behavior going on. And when I approached different women, they were like, oh, yeah, 
you know, that's all the time. What are you kidding me? And like, you, you've got to report it. Oh no, I'm not going to be that girl. And I just, what do you mean? You're not going to be that girl. Like this can't go on like, Oh no, I will get treated so much worse. I would rather just deal with this bullshit than what would come after me reporting it. And so I went to my boss. I told him, this is what I've got. None of the women that I'm speaking with are willing to report anything, but what is happening is I believe that this has created a culture in which predators feel as though they can get away with anything. And they're getting more and more bold with the actions that they're taking. And uh, I can give you names and I can give you actions, but none of the women will go on record to say who did what uh and there and it was like well then we don't have anything and i'm like we have knowledge that this is going on and something has to be done none of the women feel safe coming forward like would you want your daughter to work in an environment like that would you want your wife your mother whatever no so we have to do something it's our obligation um uh, and so that went up the chain and meetings were scheduled and canceled and scheduled and canceled and scheduled and canceled and that went on up until the point that i got arrested <laughs> oh fuck me oh fuck me but that's i mean that's that's a classic life, isn't it? And that is the clusterfuck of, a, of, of, of weird things that we experience in our daily lives. There is not a, a, a life where not office politics can be very toxic and even to toxic to a degree of abuse, sexual, emotional, verbal abuse. Um, there will be nasty people around us. One in 10 people have personality disorders. One in 100 people have psychopaths and sociopaths. So it's a given that at any one time you are meeting those people. And unfortunately, if they take a liking of you, um, then you are needy being shit. Um, plus, then life has got its own ideas about uh, throwing challenges your way. So here you were already on the back foot, basically not trusting anyone, uh, being completely um, relying on yourself, being proud of that, being that type A personality, the knight in shining armor, going out there, being that man, the fixer, the the man who is who is coming to the rescue. And then suddenly, slowly but surely, you're stripped of absolutely fucking everything. Your beliefs, your hopes, your dreams, your identity. Your identity, you were identifying as a fire a fire uh, officer and you were proud of that. And suddenly that got slashed and your name dragged through the gutter. Now, if, if that is not betrayal, then I don't want to know. Bloody hell. What was the most you drank in response to that? <laughs> that would have been a bottle and a half, a liter and a half of vodka for me. Um, uh, I I don't even know. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> God. Oh man, man, I, I, I feel for you. I, I, without going into too much details, again, your story very much resembles so much that I've gone through, and yeah, it. Guess what? You don't, don't come out unscathed of something like that. It's brutal. Then came that moment when you thought, okay, enough is enough now. And luckily that picture of your daughter was there. What did your daughter uh, think at that time? How old was she at that time? So she's 15 now. 2019. So she was she was just turning, she had just turned 13. Has she, I mean, she would have experienced a lot of the things that happened with you. Do you think you were a good dad to her? Yeah, I I actually I took the time to explain things to her. Um, I, I took ownership. I said, wow. you know, I, I wow. made some bad mistakes, wow. you know, um, did she understand it or was she still? Yeah, I, I believe that she understood. Um, she, she's very, very intelligent and, uh, she's emotionally intelligent. Um, beautiful. We, um, and I love being her father and I feel like I have done a really good job in spite of my shortcomings. I feel like I've done like the best job I've ever done with anybody, like with, <laughs> you know, I, I love mentoring. I love coaching people. I love developing leaders and I feel like she is going to do some amazing things in this world. And, and I'm just happy to be somebody that's showing her the tools that are available to her because she's brilliant. She's brilliant. And, and so I, I, I have talked to her through the past few years about what happened to me and how important it is. Um, that when we make mistakes, well, first off, don't be afraid to make mistakes because the the value that we gain from those lessons can't be measured. I think it's, yeah, there, there's some pain that comes along with mistakes, but the growth Absolutely. that comes from that is phenomenal. And you can't really identify that in the moment, but when you see how everything plays out and you look back and you're like, well, if not for that, I would not be this person. And I would not have been able to help that person, that person, that person. I, you know, I, I really believe that the 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 bad stuff that has occurred in my life, whether it was done by my actions or by the actions of others, like it 
I feel like I've become a, a pretty good man. And, and I feel like what I represent to my daughter is something that I can be proud of. And if you look at it from a rather maybe superficial kind of constantly seeking approval, constantly seeking validation, constantly living up to the perception of others, you now have found the strength and the resilience within you, integrity, humility, authenticity, those kind of words suddenly mean something to you, because you're actually truly, truly practicing and displaying them every day. Um, there is a beautiful uh, book called Extreme Ownership um, by Choco Wheeling, and it is an amazing book and an amazing principle of holding yourself accountable for your actions. And he, he he describes it within a hierarchy to say that if a man below you fucks up, then you need to ask yourself, well, have you taught the man right? Did you give him the right tools? Did you, exp uh, did you explain the mission in the correct way? If someone above you fucks up, um, then the question is, well, did you provide that person with the right information and the right guidance so that he can make the correct choices? And to actually look at it from that angle, it actually certainly a lot of my own, maybe not so nice things that happened in my life, I was able to actually relook at things and actually realize, hmm, maybe there's a bit of a shortcoming there for me too. And that actually helped me quite a bit with my anger and resentment to actually look at the way I played a role in many of those things. And that's that's where the 12 steps come in. I mean, I've written about that in, in my steps to sobriety. Um, if it's the, the principle or the, the, the step four and five, where you take a brutal inventory of what is going on in your life. And that's really, really hard to do when you're alone. I mean, that's where then mentors come in and then people who actually can listen to you and guide you in what you're doing and listen to what you're saying and more importantly listen to what you're not saying and it's those kind of things that that make that make you the human that you're destined to be it's doing the hard work and for you you've had so much trauma and it came in layers inevitably you're healing will just not be one fairy queen coming in with a little poof and you're all sorted fuck me <laughs> your <laughs> healing will will continue and it healing comes in layers so there you were on that evening coming around in the car being realizing what you have just done what happened then what how how did your transformation and how did the first part of your healing start? The, the, the first part of the healing started when, I, I mean, I, I've completely, I, 
it was like I had to give up all the anger and everything that I was holding on to, like that that feeling of betrayal and like they did this to me, they did that to me. Look what they lied about me here and look at all the stuff that they have done to me. Woe is me. I had to give up all of that. Like who, who am I right now? And how can I become better because of this? Who and, helped you there? Who gave you that insight? Well, funny enough, uh, prior to all this going on, this was some stuff that I was mentoring other firefighters <laughs> with. <laughs> oh, did the, <laughs> oh, priceless, priceless. Same with me. I could detect a depression a mile away in a patient. Did I see it in myself or the PTSD? No. <laughs> priceless. So, uh, yeah, I, I had all these notebooks with this stuff written out. I, I mean, I've been studying philosophy and, you know, Buddhism. And uh, I mean, if you look back uh, throughout history, you know, uh, our, humankind's greatest thinkers have all contemplated all this stuff, you know, the, the struggle of life and what does it all mean? And, you know, uh, Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, there's, you know, all these, all of the world's great religions, uh, great philosophies, great thinkers. Um, when, when you look throughout them, there's all this valuable information, you know, the, and I feel like there's this common thread through all of it that We're all here for one another. We feel most complete when we're adding value to somebody else. And that sense of fulfillment, that sense of happiness that we're all searching for, when we're, and this is how I relayed this thought to couple other people if you imagine uh teaching your child something something that they've been struggling with and they want to they want to do really good at this and you're teaching them and you're teaching them and then you sit back and you watch them accomplish what they've been struggling to do and they're proud of themselves and you, you're like yes good for them you know and you celebrate them That, to me, is that that the purest form of fulfillment when you weren't doing that for you. Hmm. You were doing that all for them, and it feels amazing. And so I really do believe that when we work really hard to add value to ourselves so that we're better able to add value to the people that we care about, to the, the teams that we work with, to the community that we live in. When, when we 
add value to ourselves for that purpose. We're already getting better because of that, but it's being able to pass that on that I think is where the real value comes in. And, and so that is what led me to start my podcast, what led me to write the book in its current form, because I had been writing a leadership book for like 10 years and it just kept on changing. And I kept on like, going, ah, this is stupid. And, you know, it was just another textbook. And I, yeah. there's so many of those. I, I didn't want it to be that. And then this happens and I'm like, you know, what I would really want to read myself is somebody's authentic mm-hmm. uh, story of how they fucked up and how they overcame that. How did they pull themselves out of that hole? Mm-hmm. And and why? Because when you're in that that hope hopeless state. Mm-hmm. Like, what what reason do you have to pull yourself out of there, you know? So I just, I wanted to be very authentic with the things that I wrote in the book. And I'm, I'm like, I left out details that of calls that I ran that really messed with my head just because I didn't want to traumatize anybody else. But I've... You know, I've seen some really horrific things that put me back on my heels. And I'm not the last person that's going to see that stuff. And I'm not the last person that's going to struggle with PTSD or substance abuse or depression or any of that stuff. And... I feel like the message is that when we've made it through all that, I don't know that it's our job to prevent others from experiencing it, but we're in a much better place to help others overcome those terrible places that we can find ourselves in, mm-hmm. help help pick them up and just reassure them that, you know, this isn't it. This isn't the the last uh, challenge that you're going to face, but this is one that can make you so much stronger. Just, tr- you know, trust me, I'm going to be right here with you. And, and so I think that a lot of times I think it's, it's human nature to try and find a reason why we've had to endure something. Um, but sometimes I really don't know that there is a reason. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to, to be, have a philosophically good reason why, but yeah, I agree with you, but I mean, here you are, it's interesting you're two years or three years down the line from from one of the lowest parts in your life 
yet you have come up already with this complete picture. It took me probably about five years uh, from getting sober to doing the work, basically, to actually see the bigger picture. Um, my PTSD was always there, but I didn't see it for what it was. Um, so that really only about three years ago was when the whole picture suddenly emerged because I was still only focusing on parts of my trauma, parts of my what was going on in my life. And I loved it to to explore today with you to go to your childhood, uh, see where how you were set up to endure this perfect storm on that that ultimately derailed you and, and basically sank your ship. Um, so the same thing happened in my life, but it, it took me probably a bit longer than you to learn what really was going on from start to finish. And with that, again, I want to I want to impress on others that it takes time. Uh, it takes intention. It takes conscious effort to take action to get better. It does not fall in your lap. It does not suddenly happen. And you stopping drinking. Congratulations on doing that, please. If that is if you have just achieved that. I'm I'm rooting for you. Well done, but that's only the start. Okay, yeah. sobriety. Yeah, that sounds cool. It's it looks like an insurmountable task when you're in the in the clutches of of addiction, but the moment you actually stop uh stop using, then comes the hard time because you're actually now have to deal with these negative emotions that let you down that very slippery slope of drinking more and more or behaving in the way that you have. Let that be gambling, sex addiction, eating disorders, or all of the above. Um, so it is, we, you have been hiding. You have been pushing those, those hard steps away. Um, you kept yourself either busy <laughs> like me, being either a workaholic or an alcoholic, um, I didn't have to deal with the trauma. And then suddenly, um, yep. And that's the hard one. But that's where the, the magic happens. That's where the healing happens. That's where you get to appreciate the choices that you can make every moment in your life. The, this is when you truly learn that you can transform and you become convicted. You become clear in your mind, resolute in your mind that actually, yes, change is possible. And that is, that is wonderful. Baby steps, tiny steps. But if you actually do compound interest, tiny steps every day into the right direction. And every day you deal maybe with one scenario, talk through it with someone that you trust. Maybe start off with your GP or family physician or primary care physician. Um, maybe he can guide you with a psychologist. Maybe you can find your own tribe. Whatever trauma you have endured in your life or whatever, whatever trauma right now impresses most upon you, um, figure out where are the other guys or girls who have gone through the same trauma. Are they having some rare coffee and playing golf <laughs> or god knows what uh 
and you will be amazed. You will be absolutely amazed. I think the biggest biggest thing I had to learn was, wow, how many other people are out there who had the same or similar fights, who have struggled with alcohol, who are now clean. My goodness, it is heaps. I mean, you are now out there, uh, Dave. You are you're li- literally putting your money where your mouth is. Tell us a bit about your life now, because you're three years down the line. You are now going out and and grabbing the bull by its horns. Um, what you've started your show, you've written your book. Now what? Well. It it started actually. I, I was very close to just deleting all the recorded episodes that I had had. Uh, I was close to deleting my book, and I had met this individual. I, I actually interviewed him on my podcast. I, I hadn't even published that interview. And uh, so this this guy is a retired Navy SEAL. And, you know, we were talking, he told me his story, I told him mine. And after the interview, he said, listen, I'm involved with this, uh, this nonprofit in South Dakota. I live in Florida. Never in a million years did I ever think that I would go to either Dakota uh, for any reason. But uh, here he's telling me that I've got to go to this this retreat that was specifically designed with veterans and first responders in mind. And it's completely free. It's it's funded by... uh, you know, donations and and just fundraisers, people that you know are are passionate about uh, helping our veterans and first responders. So I I end up going. I was the guy that I, I think everybody there thought that I wasn't going to talk because. I just felt I felt out of my element. I felt that a couple of people there didn't deserve to hear my story. I was just I was angry. I was just <laughs> not not in a good place. But then I ended up opening up. I got to know the group well enough and i had heard their stories and i was like holy shit these people are me it didn't matter their their occupation their their what their trauma was the experience like the the emotional experience that is what we struggle with and and so i opened up and i just emptied it all out and it was amazing and i bonded with this individual he was one of the mentors there this guy 20 plus years in the air force had done i i want to say it was like 13 or 16 combat deployments during his career and 
prior to retirement, he was T-boned and paralyzed in an auto accident. Um, so now he is a paraplegic and uh, volunteering at this retreat center to help other vets and, and first responders that are struggling with PTSD. So he and I bonded and it just so happened that uh, he lives in Florida about five hours from me and we connected. And now, uh, so <laughs> interesting enough, another individual that was there, uh, I am now engaged to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> priceless <laughs> we we i mean it was just we developed these friendships and we all talk this group of people that were there at that time we all talk every week we're we're like family and so this individual uh his name is james tipton he got involved with a group that it's a stand up and play foundation. So people that are paralyzed get these motorized wheelchairs with big wheels that can travel on the golf course. And they're, they've got the hydraulics so that when you approach and you get in position to swing your club, it raises you up, you stand up, yeah. you hit, hit your ball. And, and so that is one aspect of it getting uh, wounded warriors and and disabled uh, disabled vets, disabled first responders, to be able to do something oh. and and hang out with the guys or hang out with the gals and and bond and talk shop or whatever, but to be there and share and be a part of a community, mm. and on top of that, it's available. Another aspect of it is helping um, children with disabilities. So bringing them out uh, and and helping them learn the game of golf. And it's just this way for everybody to heal just a little bit, to, to feel valuable. And, um, and so I... I got involved with this group and it's, it's been amazing. It's an incredible group of people. And um, <laughs> so you found so, your tribe, you found your tribe to, to help and to be part of and give back. Yeah. It's just 12, the 12 step in the 12 step program. And it's, it's the, one of the most powerful and beautiful uh, things. What, made you doubt about your book what made you doubt about uh your your show why did you want to delete that um i, I was i was still struggling with you know who am i why would anybody want to listen to anything <laughs> i have to say why would anybody read my book like bullshit that was i mean it yeah it was all those <laughs> negative things that we of tell course. ourselves. Oh, and, man. and it was my, my fiance at the time, you know, she was, we were dating uh, and she was telling me like, you need to stop being so nasty to yourself. Cause uh, you know, I still, 
in the beginning of our relationship, I was just struggling with so much stuff, self-doubt and like, you know, still, but she, she's an amazing woman. She was a uh, army medic served over in Iraq, uh, has some combat injuries. She's got two purple hearts and, She's actually uh, the commander of the Order of the Purple Hearts, the local chapter here. Um, and these are like, you know, Vietnam vets that are, you know, salty as hell. And they picked her to be their commander. That's <laughs> how amazing she is. She's just, but she, when she came back, she put herself through school. She, became a licensed clinical social worker. She works with combat vets with PTSD and victims of military sexual trauma. She helps them heal. And so she's got some skills that I haven't fully developed yet, but she's been helping me. And one of the things that she said to me was, why do you think you talk to yourself that way? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I just don't feel good about myself. And, you know, I'm like, I want to do better. And she's like, well, would you talk to your daughter that way to make her do better? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> she's like, why not? Why not? I'm like, because it wouldn't work. Well, why do you think it would work for you? <laughs> and oh, I'm priceless. like, it, it blew my mind. I'm like, wow, yeah, you're, you got a point there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, priceless. So there, there comes a time when, I mean, you have to have that self-awareness when you're doing it to yourself and take a minute and go, wait a second. Let me, let me encourage myself to do better. Let me yeah. talk about, talk to myself about all the amazing things that I have done, the things that I've done right. The, let me talk about that to myself and say, let me apply that same energy, that same effort, that same expertise, that same passion into doing this because that is what's going to make it happen. And giving yourself some grace for the stupid shit that you do, because that's what everybody does. Yep. Yep. That's and so it, true. Give yourself permission we, to fuck up. Yeah. I and mean, it is, and it's normal. It's normal. You're a normal human being. You can't be perfect 100% of the time. I don't know where we get this perception from that. Oh my God, I made a little mistake and let it be whatever it is. Um, and you beat yourself up for it. It's, it's, it's a habit. It's a habit that you have created, um, to beat yourself up. Uh, you can create different habits. You can actually create a habit of, of pausing before you use the whip. <laughs> um actually to just double check hang on it is why did you fuck up um maybe ask yourself that and for me it's often enough I've, that i'm hungry angry lonely tired halt is a nice mnemonic that i use and 
if I if I am hungry, angry, lonely, so free out of them, um, then there is a good chance that maybe I don't make as good choices, regardless what what we are now talking about. And if there are four of them, well, I might even have the idea to have a drink, or I might have the idea of doing something really stupid, because I have not looked after myself. I've not looked after the basics of my 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 body, my needs. I did not look after my needs, but really, I truly desire. And yeah, hang on, man. This is so. There is a lot of work that we can do. There's a lot of insights that you can develop, but it doesn't it doesn't happen just like that. No. You need to talk. You need to share your story, and you need to to spell it out loud. So it's interesting. You had written your book, um, so you actually put already your story in words. But then you had to go to the retreat to suddenly realize, hang on, hang on. So obviously, something you telling the story there was different than you telling the story in the book. And that often happens. That often happens. And that's what I mean. Healing comes in layers. You you tell the same story 10 times. And the 11th time, your brain just changes the words ever so mildly. And suddenly, it's like an out-of-body experience. And you sort of think, what did just come out of my mouth? And that is the breakthrough that you needed to move to the next level. and. It is beautiful. That that is just fantastic for me when I experience that. And I embrace those moments. I embrace them for what they are, their gifts um, for me to move forward and to develop further. And I, I can't wait for more things like that to happen. Do I say that I can't wait for more challenges to happen? Well, actually, right now, it feels like every six hours, some disaster happens. And you just say, oh, come on, give me a break. <laughs> what do you do when you get frustrated? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've been struggling with that recently. Um, you know, one of the things that works the best for me is... I've got a heavy bag and a hydro bag hanging up out on my back porch and I just beat the hell out of it. I got to get some exercise, <laughs> yep. uh, but it, it does, it helps. It helps a lot. The other thing is getting enough sleep, which I struggle with when I'm, when I'm struggling, I struggle to sleep. And it's that piece that I really, really need mm. or else I just keep on struggling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Dave, you're an amazing man. You're an amazing man. And you're still on this path to true recovery, the same as I am. And in some aspects, you're a bit further than me. In other aspects, um, I've overtaken you. But bottom line is we are far from the finish. Now, <laughs> the finish yeah. will be the deathbed. Uh, yes. And I hope that I'm very far away from that. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. I've got so much to do. I've got another 50 years of life at least that I want to live. Um, and that is amazing coming from a point where I was ready to throw in the towel like you. And to now see that joy 
coming out of me, truly coming out of my mouth, listening to these words make me smile because I've seen how far I've already come. Do I celebrate how far I've come? No. <laughs> still, still same shit as with you. No, we look at the negative things. Look, you still need to do all those things. You don't look back and say, bloody hell, have I done all that? When is a time that we actually celebrate our achievements? And guess what? Now is a pretty good start. Because right now, you guys out there, you have just listened to our show. You have just done an hour of therapy with us. Hey, this is an achievement. Celebrate that. Celebrate it by having a, a big glass of water down it and say, wow, now I've hydrated. So I've done something for my soul. I've done something for my body. You've done two things already. Two wins. Hey, congratulations. So if you were to start looking at your life like that, what's the next choice you could do to actually move you either forward into your mental health well-being or maybe drag you backwards? Well, look at it like opportunities. Hey, you know, do every second like that, every minute like that, every hour like that. You will be amazed where your life is going. And, you know, what could, what else could you do? Maybe, maybe buy Fireproof, maybe buy Dave's book and actually check it out because he was this man telling the truth, the honest truth, blood, tears, all, and more importantly, his transformation and his insights, how to turn failure into such a powerful, powerful driving force that it really makes things happen. Wow. So Dave, where can people buy your book? Uh, on my website. So this is really cool, actually. Uh, I'm not sure when this will air, but uh, October 11th is the official release where it will be available on all the major book selling platforms, yeah. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that. Um, but right now, the only place that you can get it is on my website. Uh, if you are in another country outside the continental US, I would say wait, and or you can actually pre-order it on Amazon um, because like the shipping is a little ridiculous to uh, order it. And uh, I, I've shipped a couple of books to Australia and- I know, it makes your eyes water, doesn't it? The postage. Oh. <laughs> well, I was I was flattered, like man, they really wanted my book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it's um it's available on my website, uh, hollenbachleadership.com. All of my social media links are on there. Um, I have a page of resources that it, it's all about PTSD. Um, there's resources for veterans, there's for uh, resources for first responders, and then there's just like really helpful information about, yeah. you know, the ACE study, about what PTSD is, and, you know, a lot of different uh, therapies that are available. So all that is on there. And then I've got the the fireproof store. So you want to go there and learn more about me there's a link to my my podcast there as well um 
Yeah. Uh, Sponsor on there. <laughs> Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because all the links are down there. And whilst you're down there, press the like and the subscribe button that you don't miss out on all these amazing people that I have got the honor to of interviewing. Um, Dave, you're a great man. And it is it's beautiful that what has happened to you and to what it led to you now being the light in the darkness of others and that's so beautiful especially for for people like you and me who have been in the darkness ourselves and when it's pitch black it's so easy to lose hope and feel really despondent and that nowadays it's there is still a bit darkness in me but it's talking to people like you that make me realize, no, this darkness is trying to lie to me. It's trying to convince me of things that are not true. And therefore, this is an ongoing struggle. This is not once and for all, you have beaten the darkness. That only happens in, in, in crappy B films. Uh, no, no, this is an ongoing, ongoing journey. I don't want to call it struggle. It's a journey um, with new trials, new tribulations, new successes new failures but at least now both dave and i are a little bit better equipped to deal with these failures um still a struggle <laughs> still bloody hard <laughs> still don't like it but hey <laughs> dave thank you so much for coming on to my show you're an amazing man please keep doing what you're doing and making this world a bit of a better place one little project at a time one book at a time can't wait to read your book Thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm humbled that you would have me on your show. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all the nice stuff you said about me. I, I really, really appreciate it. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm honored that you would have me on and uh, share your platform with me. So thank you very much, Stefan. Delighted. And you guys out there, come on, don't give up. Uh, there is a life waiting for you. So go out there, make the right choice, look after yourself, and live with passion. Bye.